welcome to Knock On Podcast, where we bring you archery information and education that you can trust. Knock On was created as a way to bring all archers together, regardless of the brand you choose or the style of archery you shoot. Knock On Podcasting will deliver professional insights to the latest gear, proper shooting technique, along with high-level equipment setup and tuning. Hey everybody, welcome back to another Knock On Podcast. I know it's been a week, but I was off on my last traveling hunt of the year, I think, um, in Oklahoma. I was out with some good friends of mine, uh, a couple really good buddies, had an awesome time, but I did not get a deer. Had several packs of wild, crazy hogs come in and totally wreck my plans for a good evening hunt or good morning hunt on whitetails. Um, but such is life. I guess if you're south of the central point now in the United States, you're dealing with wild hogs and messing up your hunts. So um, the first few days, I really didn't want to shoot any because I didn't want to kind of booger up my spots. But once I realized that that's just how it was going to go and it was inevitable that they were going to be wrecking my spots, I finally decided to just shoot a couple of the huge um, dominant boars that that I had seen and was pretty cool. Got some great shots. Posted one of the shots on my Instagram account, um, which is actually pretty cool because that boar in particular had a massive front shield on his shoulder it was so thick it was like it felt it literally felt like a piece of one inch plywood um and although i did go through the one side it stopped when i hit the shield on the opposite side um but really good testimony to how well that my broadhead worked going through that type of a shield anyone who's hunted real big mature bo- uh, boars know that those shields can actually stop bullets. So even though the penetration doesn't look, you know, perfect, it was definitely good enough and great. Um, so I did that last week. This week, I'm actually in the process of getting some last-minute preparation in the woods for some of my hunting spots for deer here in my home state, of Iowa. But I'm also already starting to get bows set up and dialed in for indoor archery can't believe it but yep it's indoor archery season again and i'm in the process of getting that going so looking forward to to doing that i'm i've got several videos that we've been working on i've got my good buddy morty here um that's actually helping me do some editing right now we've got several projects Um, that are going to be coming out here in the next several months and um, I can guarantee you there's going to be some um, there's going to be a lot of opportunity for um, several of my different social media and YouTube channels for you guys to get a whole new appreciation for what we're going to do Um, it was pretty cool in Oklahoma we actually had bedded down a really really nice whitetail during the middle of the day and instead of going on the stock right then i actually said i want to try to go back and rig up my phone on on top of the our main camera because i said i really want to do like a live feed of this whole stock so people can just watch kind of my whole plan and maneuvering as i stalk in um and so we went back and ended up spending about an hour and a half trying to rig up a phone on the camera and give you guys a little heads up notice in between all that stuff that was going on we ended up going live and stalking right in right when i literally get to the spot where i thought i was going to be able to get my first look at the deer uh the broadcast cut out because we ran out of signal um which kind of made it feel like someone said is this a, a Geraldo al capone's vault type video and I kind of felt like that was a true statement because it wasn't planned that way for my video to cut out right at kind of the moment of truth there but in the end that buck had actually slipped out of there sometime between 
uh, when we had spotted and embedded in that hour and a half later when I finally went in on the stock with the live feed. But still, it was a super cool um, opportunity. Um, for indoor season here, pretty much going to start out where I always do. When a lot of people have questions about how to go from outdoor season to indoor season, and for me, I start out by going to a slightly bigger arrow, you know, I'll probably have a slightly bigger fletching, um, then I'll go to having a slightly higher, higher power in my scope, and from there, it really comes down to repetition. Um, I'll go t- from like a, a fallaway style arrow rest to a launcher blade style arrow rest, um, and then just go from there. So I pulled several questions off the Instagram this morning uh, when I was I got up early and knew I was going to be able to podcast today. Um, I was hoping to have T-Bone from Bone Collector with me but t-bone was actually in a tree he did text me back and said he would love to do a knock-on podcast um, but he just needs to to do it when he's done with this hunt that he's doing right now for for the show so we'll definitely make that happen Uh, but the first question here is from d dorman 66 he says he's getting a pro edge elite ready for the indoor vegas shoot and he has some 27 Diameter arrows needs to build them. He says his bow is 60 pounds, 29 inch. What fletch do you recommend and what point weight? So when it comes to those really big diameter arrows like that, I've never really had the best of luck getting a 27 or even a 26 diameter arrow to shoot as high of X counts as what I have with some of my smaller diameter shafts. And I think a big part of that is just because... That bigger diameter shaft and a lot of times those thicker walls, they're just made for bows that are at higher weights or longer draw lengths. You know, the a 27 diameter or you know, diameter arrow is not really intended for the lightweight target archers. So, I've just found I've had to shoot a lot of point weight. And for example, I'm shooting a 2315 for the majority of my indoor shooting just because I feel like the 2315 shoots a better hole at the target after all 30 arrows are considered. I feel like I can shoot a 300 if I have a big diameter arrow, but I feel like my 300 with a lower X count just isn't as impressive as um, shooting that smaller diameter shaft, which in most cases has always given me a higher X count. Um, I'm in here actually looking at, I've got two targets on the wall. I've actually got several targets on the wall, but there's two targets on the wall here in my office that are framed. Um, One was a 330X shot. Um, that I did with a 2315 and um, and then that was done at a tournament and then the other one was one that I shot um, at Vegas when I shot a 29x 300 round um, and that was with a 20 I think I think I was shooting a 2613 at the time um, but certainly the 330x target, looks considerably better on paper with the small diameter shaft versus having that big diameter shaft that was kind of spraying all over the place. Um, And actually, if I remember right, when I shot that 29X300, that was actually my 36th arrow in this target face. I shot two practice ends um, and had really good holes and then continued to shoot the entire round plus my two practice ends. So it was actually 35 out of 36 X's that I shot. Um, But the target, because of that bigger diameter arrow, the targets don't look as impressive as that smaller diameter shaft. I've just got along so good with the 2315 ever since... I was forced to shoot that smaller diameter shaft because of the ruling with World Archery or back in the day FIDA, which only allowed a 23 diameter wall as a maximum thickness. 
Um, I've shot a variance of point weights over the years. At times, I've shot 180s in the front of my uh, 2315s. At other times, I've shot 220s. But with the 2712s um, that you're talking about or the 2613s, it's the same thing. 180 grain points, 200 grain points, 250 grain points. I've tried several different ones, um, up to 300 grains. And really my grouping overall just doesn't seem to be as impressive with that super large diameter shaft. If you are a 29-inch, 60-pound um, archer, then I would say build these arrows. And when it comes to the fletching, I can tell you with that particular shaft, because it's probably stiffer than what you would want, um, you really want the fletching to lead the arrow. Whereas on outdoor shooting, especially when you're shooting in the wind, you actually want the point of the arrow steering. So... You know, we'll shoot smaller veins, real heavy points, higher FOC for outdoor shooting. But in indoor shooting where you don't have wind and you're in a controlled environment, the name of the game is getting that arrow to stabilize itself as quick as possible so that you're shooting the most consistent and accurate groups at a fixed distance. Now, I've done that a no number of ways over the years. Um, this particular face that I have here with this 30x300 that I'm looking at, I was actually shooting a four-inch feather with about an inch and a, or a one and a half degree right wing or right helical um, or right offset. And on another face that I have here, I was actually shooting. And last year I shot. To be honest with you, last year I was shooting the Hoyt Hyper Edge. I shot a 2315, but I shot a 3-inch AAE Max Stealth vein um, with about a 2-degree offset. Slightly more offset than I normally shoot, especially for hunting. However, because of that bigger shaft diameter, I was able to ha still have good clearance with the arrow rest because I was shooting a 2315 so that's why I could get away with that two degree offset now if I was shooting a real small diameter shaft like a say I was hunting with like an AC injection or an Easton injection I wouldn't be able to shoot that type of a helical and still get really good clearance on my rest unless you're shooting a fall away um, which for target archery I always shoot a lizard tongue um, right now I'm shooting, I'm actually shooting an AAE uh, freak show. Um, I'm working with AAE right now on some new arrow rests. This is going to be really big. Um, I don't have times or lead, lead times for any of you out there yet. But what I will say is that um, I am going to be working and collaborating with AAE on a new target rest hopefully that'll be a year from now it's not going to be right now and i've we've been working on a hunting style rest um, which i really really like and we're getting that knocked uh together so to speak and hopefully that'll be available much much sooner but those are going to be two rests to really look forward to um, but with the launcher style rest, because it has a launcher blade and it's not getting out of the way, you are limited to making sure that you're shooting a fletching that allows good clearance to where you're not contacting that launcher or that lizard tongue. Um, and the bigger diameter shaft you have, the more your spacing is between veins and the more likely you are to have that clearance. Um, so with my indoor arrows... Like if I was shooting a 2712, which you're asking about, I would probably shoot a lot of helical because I want that arrow to start spinning very fast. And I would probably at least shoot a minimum of 200 grains to start. Um, but that could vary considerably. Um, the next question I'm going to get into here is from someone that actually sent a question to Sharon through the knock-on store. Um, this is from Tommy East, 
Eastham, and he's saying um, he's listening to my podcast, greatly increased his enjoyment and commitment to archery. Um, he currently shoots a PSE DNA at 30 inch, 70 pounds, and was wanting to know my thoughts on a Hoyt Defiant and if it would be a good upgrade. If yes, which model? And he said, I'm a bigger guy, six foot four, 240. So your stature is probably similar to mine. I'm 6'5", 220. Um, but I can tell you that the 34-inch model or 34-inch bows, when they have a, a generous brace height or a decent brace height of 7 inches or better, is definitely the preferred at our height. Now, if you're you know, 28 and a half or lower in draw length, you can get away with some of these bows that have shorter axle axle lengths or shorter brace heights. Um, but the average person that's shooting 28 inches to 29 and a half inches of draw, those 30 inch models will be okay for them. Um, 30 inch axle axle, but for people of our size, you really want to focus on a model that's 34 inches axle axle or higher. Um, that's going to be really critical for you. I'm the same way. And what the reason is because you want to make sure that your peep is not too far away from your eye when your bow's at full draw. And the shorter your axle axle length and the longer your draw length, the sharper your string angle is going to be when it's at full draw. And that will put the peep further away from your eye. I mean, you don't want to pull back and have that peep way out in front of your eye so that it's really hard to align the peep and the scope at the same time. You really want to have that peep at a decent distance to where when your head is in a vertical position, the string is at the tip of your nose and the peep is just a few inches in front of your, you know, your main dominant eye. If you're having to tip your head way forward to the string or if you're having to increase the draw length on your bow so that when you anchor and your head is in a straight position, that string is actually still touching the tip of your nose. A lot of times longer or taller people that shoot the shorter axle axle bows, they end up having to shoot a half inch longer draw length in order to get that string to be able to fit at the tip of their nose. And you really got to be mindful of that. Um, the other thing is stick with a brace height, regardless of the bow that you're shooting, stick with a brace height that's still fairly generous. Uh, make sure that there's, you know, um, you want to make sure that when you're at full draw, regardless of your draw length, that you're able to keep your head in a vertical position, strings at the tip of your nose, and you're able to look directly through that peep sight all the way to the front sight. If you do that, Tommy, you're going to be happy with the bow that you have. I'm not 100% on the PSE stuff. Um, I do know I love my Defiant. I love my Carbon Defiant. Um, definitely has a slightly different feel than the aluminum version. Um, but both are awesome. And um, I don't know. You have to pull them back yourself. Sometimes the biggest sales point is just drawing the bow or pulling the bow. There's been times in the past where some bow companies have advertised a bow that's faster, but once you go to pull it back, you realize that it's actually much harder to pull the cam or definitely harder to hold the bow at full draw. And you don't want that. You want to have forgiveness. Something that's easy to shoot is really the name of the game. Uh, next question here is from Joe McKinney saying, just started watching your videos last year. Uh, very knowledgeable about archery. Love your hunts, but your tech tips are the best. Got back to archery last year and have struggled with target panic, and it's very distressing. I used to have super. I used to be super confident when a shot presented itself and I'd be successful, but not anymore. I've made so. I've made much improvement over the last year, but slow in progress. I've made the decision to buy a Carter Evolution, and I just saw the big buck that you took with it in the last episode. The only question I have is where do I get one and which one should I get? I understand that there's three different types. Um, and also, which tool do you recommend using for checking your holding weight so that you can set the release up? So 
I personally prefer the original Evolution um, with, if you were going to buy something that's available right now today, I would say the three-finger version. Otherwise, if you can wait, the Silverbacks, which I've helped design with Carter, it's got the exact same shape, exact same spacing and feel as my Noctuit releases, uh, but the Silverback is fully... Um, tension activated this is going to be huge and it allows you to pull as you're pulling through your shot to focus on minimal fingers on the release because the more fingers you put on that release the more ability you have to manipulate how it's being drawn or um, also the leverage put on the particular jaw as you're pulling through for example if you put an evolution on your loop and you pull back you let off the safety and then you start aiming and pulling through if you're pulling more with your ring finger and your pinky it'll actually take a different amount of pressure to fire as if you're pulling through with your index finger and really pulling through any release with the majority of your weight your weight on your index finger is going to be critical um so the three finger version is definitely my preferred anything over that i would exercise caution make sure that you know especially if you're getting it from ebay make sure that they're working um but you know i think when it comes to how i set it up i actually use an easton scale i have a an easton bow scale and i have i took about a I would guess about eight inches of release rope and I just took both ends. I folded it in half. I took both ends and I tied a knot using both pieces of string at one time. And what that pretty much did was give me about a three inch long loop um, that was tied in a knot. And um, I took that particular loop and I wrap it around the serving of my string and I kind of pull it tight. I take, you know, it's obviously a circle. If you have that that loop that I just told you about, it's a circle. So I just take one end of it and I pull it through the middle of the circle so that it cinches down kind of, kind of in a um, temporary half hitch on my string. And from there, I'll pull back my bow and check my weight using this Easton scale. And then I'll take that that temporary circle or temporary loop off my bow and I'll use it to connect my scale and the release. And I'll let off the safety of the release and I'll continue to pull until it fires. And by using that bow scale, I'm able to set up my release. For new people, I set that release up to where it fires at about five pounds over holding weight. Um, I know that some people don't want that much they've changed it um some people shoot a lot less holding weight i personally like to start out around five extra pounds and i do that because i want to i almost want to over um i want to over pull i want to get in the habit of pulling through with more muscle that's needed because then when it comes down to you know tournament time or a hunt i'm able to back that release down to where it just goes off much smoother um, and probably twice the speed but with the same amount of effort um, i think if you do it that way you're going to be really happy um, with that release but if you're in the market i can tell you that silverbacks are actually being shipped to me today finished um, I've got a few things I need to do for packaging and that sort of thing. So those silverbacks probably aren't going to be out on the market for two to three weeks. Um, but, and I guess also just for people listening to this podcast, just so you know, it's October 10th right now. Um, and I also have heard um, Forrest at Carter told me that they are building Noctuits right now. So next week... Um, if all goes as planned, we should have knocked to its um, rolling. That's my plan anyway. And then the silverbacks will follow soon after. Um, and I plan on getting a video out 
for kind of both of those releases and how they work hand in hand with one another for training. I think that's going to be really useful. Um, next question here is from Amos.Billy90. Hey, Dud or Mrs. Dud. I was wondering when the next set of Noctuit releases will be coming. I know hunting season had you tied up, but I've been waiting to get my hands on one um, so I can get this North Carolina buck and a few pigs with it. Well, like I said, um, it's the 10th. I'm thinking by next week, a week from now, we're going to actually be selling Noctuits. Um, so be on the lookout. Uh, we ordered a ton of them. I hope to gosh they last longer, but they may not. We were expecting them sooner. They were supposed to be here sooner, by the way. They were supposed to be here at the beginning of August. But just like anything, when you're in a rush, the anodizer actually misplaced the whole box of casings, and um, they ended up never getting done. But they're going to be done now. So Amos.Billy90. Make sure you're constantly on the scan of the website next week because they're going to be showing up there and you're going to want to get them while the getting's good. Next question here is from Jay uh, Jeffries87. He's saying, um, and actually I just screenshotted this, so I haven't even got to read through these yet. Um, I'm just answering on the fly says, I just have a question about what effect the helical degree, um, or I have a question about what effect helical degree you have on your veins. Okay, so that doesn't totally make sense. But um says that as Arizona Mini Easy Fletcher puts a three-degree helical on the veins, while at his pro shop that fletched his arrows before, um, he said their jig has a smaller amount of helical says that his arrow groups seem to not be affected too much, but he's still somewhat a novice archer. Can you help give me some of your um, take on which is better? So if you're an archer that's shooting 40 yards or less, having or even 50 yards or less, having that bigger degree helical is only going to make those arrows spin faster um, and control ultimately control a broadhead better or theoretically um but when they're spinning faster the further they go they're going to start to slow down so there's kind of a fine line there um having a fletch like that like i said if you're shooting some of from mid to short distance you're going to be perfectly fine and earlier when we talked about um indoor arrows for target archery same sort of thing um you can shoot a higher helical or higher degree offset on the indoor arrows because that bigger shaft diameter allows you to have more offset on your fletching without giving you contact as it's passing through the arrow rest so I think that three degree will work fine if you're a mid to short distance archer. But once you start getting out and wanting to shoot accurately and consistency or consistently past, um, let's just say 50 to 55 yards, then having less helical and less spin on your arrow is going to actually start to benefit you a little bit more. Um, Hopefully that helped you out. I don't think you have a problem with that jig unless you're wanting to start shooting really long distances. And if you're wanting to start shooting those distances from 70, 80, 90, 100, then you might want to look at how the fletching, the fletched arrows with less helical did compared to the ones with more. Um, I would be willing to bet the ones that actually had more are going to be the ones that um, slow down and start to group worse at some of the longer distances. Um, next question here is from Kyle Holzbog. He says, um, so I've been hearing a lot about how much a bowstring and a knock can affect your shot. 
Since you guys are the best in the business, I was wondering if you'd tell me what kind of bowstrings and what kind of knock you'd recommend. So kind of what he's talking about here is with archery, anytime you start adding weight to the center of your string, you actually will start to slowly slow the bow down. You'll start to increase string vibration, but... Um, you know, you'll also start to get more oscillation on the string. So it'll start to get noisier or it'll actually start to kind of buzz around a little bit more. Um, how your arrow fits on the string, like how it actually clips on the string, can really affect your accuracy a ton. And I think some of these people that have a knock that fits really, really tight, um, they don't realize how much that's affecting their accuracy. You really want to have an arrow that clips on the string and allows you to roll the string in your fingers and move that string around, but also one that allows that knock to kind of come off the string uh, with minimal effort. You don't want it to really be snapped on there super tight. Years ago, I did an article for Peterson's Bowhunting about knock fit and how it affects your arrow. This is the same exact thing if you have a serving diameter on the center serving of your bow to where when you clip your arrow on there it really snaps on really loud and when you grab the string and try to move the string if it kind of wants to turn the arrow instead of allowing just the serving to roll in the throat of the the knock then you definitely have some type of a problem. You want your knocks to be able to clip on. You don't want to have a bunch of slopper play, but you also want to be able to tap the back of your string fairly generously and be able to get your arrow to fall off that string. Um, for strings itself, I personally am shooting Winner's Choice um, custom sets. That's just what I'm shooting for right now. And I've been super happy with them. Um, and I'm shooting the nocturnal lighted knocks, which actually fit just a fuzz um, better on the, on the string than um, a standard knock. And I've just got to the point where as soon as I set up a bow, I have arrows that actually have the lighted knock in them. And that's what I tune them with is with the lighted knock because some knocks on the market fit the servings much different than others. This is one thing that I think a lot of people overlook when it comes to knock fit because some people will buy a lighted knock and they don't really know how it fits on the string and they haven't actually set the bow up with that fit and it will play a huge difference because in that article that I was just talking about in regards to Peterson's bow hunting, I took the same exact bow and the same exact arrow setup and the same exact knocks, but I changed the center serving on the bow to three different diameter serving threads. So in other words, one fit, um, one of the servings fit the knock very loose, one fit preferable, and one fit extremely tight. And even at 20 yards, there was a huge difference in how that bow grouped just based off whether or not the knock fit loose, normal, or tight. The tighter of the fit is always going to give you the worst grouping results, but loose knocking fit is the type of thing that allows your arrow to fall off the string uh, when you draw back and then you go to, you know, say you don't get your shot and then you're trying to let your bow down. That string ends up, uh, knock ends up coming off the serving uh, simply because it's too loose. All those types of things happen. So you really need to focus on your knock fit. You want it to be able to snap on, but you also want to be able to roll that serving in the throat of your knock. Um, but again, the strings I use are winner's choice. Um, and also you want to pick a knock that is consistent and and fits the same all the time. I shoot the nocturnals because I just really like the accuracy and the consistency and how they fit the string.
Uh, next question here is um, from 3D underscore fever. Hey, Dad, I have an odd question uh, for you, but I'm in need of number nine cams for a 2000 Hoyt, 2011 Hoyt afterburner. I've searched around and I'm having no luck. I was curious, um, with all you do with archery, if by chance you have any number nine spiral cams for a 2011 Hoyt afterburner. Um, I really need to make sure I get this set to the proper draw length. So, no, um, 3D, 3D underscore fever, I don't have those cams. But what I will tell you is, I just gave you a shout out to a few hundred thousand archers. And if any of you knock on nation members out there have a set of number nine spirals, then go on Instagram and send a message to three lowercase d underscore and then lowercase fever. So 3D fever. Tell them you've got some number nines. Maybe you can sell them. If you got a pair of old set of cams laying around, try to sell them, see if you can get them out there. Um, next question here is from Skyler underscore 1991. Um, says, starting to save up for a back tension release right now. I have a wrist strap release and I already have a horrible habit of punching the trigger. I really like the look of the Carter Attraction. I know you recommend the Evolution normally, but how do you feel about the Attraction? Listen, there's a lot of different releases out there that can kind of do different things for you. The Attraction, if I recall, um, allows you to set it up for either tension activation or trigger activation. The difference is... And what changes people's opinion on a release is just how it feels when you hold it in your hand. A release is a very personal feeling thing. You know, there's times where people grab even a knock to it and they'll say, well, it's just too big. I have a small hand. This feels too big for my hand. Or they may say, you know, oh, this feels just too small. Um, you know, there's a ton of different ways that people can answer. I personally have never really preferred a Target 4 uh, style Carter, which is kind of the number one selling Carter of all time. Um, so I'm definitely not the norm. A lot of people like that release. I like a release that's swept back a little bit more and allows my index finger to be further forward than the other fingers. But that's just my preference. And until you actually grab that release and hold it, you really won't know. And the other thing is the, dis the distance between the hook of the release, where it hooks on your loop, and your actual position of where your fingers are wrapped around that release. Some people get along with a neck or a hook that's further from their f fingers, and some get along better with one that's closer to their fingers. That's really all preference. Uh, Skyler, you're going to have to grab one and hold it and see how it feels for yourself. And uh, I think that should really help you out. Next question here is from Hilk underscore 55. Um, says, I did want to ask you a question on arrow weight. I'm shooting a bloodline and it's 8.7 grains per inch. But I don't know the exact total weight. I'm only shooting it at 287 feet per second. Was thinking about switching to an Eason Axis, which is heavier, or going to an Eason Hex, which is lighter. I'm shooting 28 inches at 70 pounds, and my bow is rated for 330 feet per second, but I don't understand why it doesn't shoot faster than the 287. Okay, so here's the thing. Um... First off, you haven't told me your exact pulling weight. Um, even though the limbs are set at 70 pounds, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're shooting 70 pounds. Um, the other thing too here, Hilk, is that you have a 28-inch draw. So as a rule of thumb, 28 inches of draw is 2 inches shorter than... Um, 
the the standard for measuring speed, which is 30 inches. So a 330 is an IBO setting, which is 30 uh, inches of draw, 70 pounds, with an arrow that's exactly five grains per pound, um, which would mean you know it's a two or a 350 grain arrow. Now, if you're a 28 inch draw, and a rule of thumb is for each inch of draw length, speed will either increase or decrease about an average of eight feet a second. So one inch of draw is equivalent to about eight feet per second. So if the standard test and advertised bow is at 330, you're going to be 16 feet per second less than that at your max potential at five grains per pound just because of your shorter draw. Now, if you're under that in pull weight, if you're not exactly 70 pounds in pull weight, or if your arrow is heavier than the five grains per pound, which means for each pound of pull, your arrow has five grains. So, you know, again, if you're shooting a 70 pound bow, it would be seven 70 times 5 would be 350 grains, uh, 350. So you really have to look at what your arrow weight is. If you're shooting an arrow that weighs 400 grains or 390 grains, that's, again, a big, big difference, and your speed's going to start to decrease over, you know, compared to the advertised speed at a pretty fast rate. So... That 287 is a pretty good number for speed, although your arrow is fairly light. Um, if you did go to a heavier axis, I do, th- or a heavier arrow, and I'm using the axis as an example because that's what you mentioned. Um, certainly, the heavier arrow is going to help maintain your momentum, and it's going to help drive a broadhead through. Compared, if you compare it to Um, a lighter arrow with the same exact bow so that heavier arrow could certainly help you but it will slow you down more so if you're just worried about the speed then you know that bloodline or your hex is going to be a faster arrow it is going to be faster but it's just not going to have the drive is what a heavier arrow would um let's see the next question i'm going to jump into one more um i'm going to come back here later on for another podcast i've actually got to make sure that i have time to get to harry's track or cross country he's running for conference conferences today so make sure everyone out there has their fingers crossed for him conferences are pretty big deal um and he is trying to get in the mid 16s for his 5k that's his his goal 1640 for his 5k um but let's see here um the the last one of the last questions i'm going to get to here is from tvc3 says what are the exact supplies you use when putting speed knocks on a new set of strings so if i do a string replacement and i'm going to put speed knocks on I just use brass knocks and I also have, I go to an auto parts store and I get 3M shrink tubing. Um, that 3M shrink tubing works really good. You can shrink it with a hairdryer or a lighter. Be careful. You don't want to heat the string. It, you will break your string if you heat that shrink tube too much. You want to let that shrink tube shrink around your speed knocks with radiant heat, not direct heat. Um, but what I'll do is I'll measure, um, you know, make sure I have the speed knocks equal distance from the axle to where I clamp them on the string. Make sure they're always free of your cam. When your cam rolls around, you don't want those speed knocks hitting. And I'll start with putting one on each end, equal distance from the axle. Shoot it through a chronograph. Then I'll put another set on, clamp another knock right directly next to the first knock you put on on each end. I'll shoot them through the chronograph. And as you do that, you'll see your speed slowly starts to increase. It can vary a lot depending on your draw length, your poundage, your bow type, how much string tension you have, 
um, the cam design, what your limb angle is, and how much tension you have on that string at, at rest. Um, a lot can factor into how many you need, but the bottom line is there's a point where you get the maximum amount of speed out of that string without um, decreasing your accuracy or increasing too much str string oscillation. So once I've figured out how many it is, like for example, on one of the bows that I built the other day, I had four on each end. Um, then what I did was I put the bow in a pressed, took the string off, I slid um, about a, you know, I cut a piece of shrink tubing, the length in order to cover that brass knock. Um, I'll cut that shrink tubing, slide it over, and then use indirect heat to allow that shrink tubing to wrap around those brass knocks. And that's pretty much it. Uh, but it's just a regular brass knock and a regular pair of knock pliers. And that's it. Um, so let's see. Um, we've have a, I've had a several really good questions um, from people. I'm just looking at this one now from Justin Tab asking if I'll do a live stream. Um, on foot position and breathing during the shot cycle. I may do that um, later on. We'll see what time this meet gets done. Um, I also had another really good request from one of you about doing a live stream on front shoulder position. Those are really important um, topics that are great subjects for a live stream. And I'll definitely do those for you here coming up. Uh, just make sure you're always you like the Knock On TV Facebook page because if I live stream, that's where I'm going to live stream it to, um, and I'll try to give you guys a little bit of notice. Um, let's see, uh, just looking here. I'm looking at this next question from N Rouser M Rouser One. When should you move from your tree stand? He says his back starts hurting after four hours. Should he suck it up or move? Um, well, it depends on, it kind of depends on your area. Depends on the time of year. You know, this time of year, I'm not an all day sitter. Uh, four hours is a pretty good time to sit. Uh, but once, once kind of that Halloween week comes around, the closer I get to Halloween, the more I start ramping up to do full day sits. Um, if you have a back issue and you just start to hurt, which maybe it's your tree stand, I can tell you I sat in, and I'm not I'm not trying to dog anybody. I'm just telling you the truth. I sat when I was in Oklahoma in my buddy's tree stand, and it was a Millennium ladder stand, and he told me how comfortable this thing was and how much I'd like it. And I literally, my legs were asleep after like an hour and a half. And the difference is I'm a taller person and the, the height between the platform and the seat was not as high as what it is on my lone wolves. Um, I'm a lone wolf guy. I love the lone wolf alpha. Um, that alpha stand, I just, I can't even tell you how many 13 hour day sits I've made in a lone wolf alpha I just like them. The height is good. I can adjust the seat, the pitch of the seat. I can adjust the pitch of the platform. And if the platform's level and the seat's level, I can sit all day. Um, if you have back issues or you're kind of limited to that four hours, my recommendation to you would be to really focus on the four hours that are best. Um, like, for example, during that first week of November when rut's really rolling, um, I wrote an article about what I call a gentleman's hunt, and th that name was actually one that was given to me by a game warden who told me that he, a lot of times he partakes in gentleman hunts because he's always out patrolling first thing in the mornings, um, but he said he likes to get in his stand once a lot of the hunters come out uh, because that's kind of the only time he can hunt, and he has a lot of successful seasons by doing that and i'm a firm believer in you can go out as long as you're going into an area where you're not penetrating right into the bedding area but i'm a firm believer in hunting from 8 to 12 in the morning 
and that being just as effective as people that are out there at first daylight. I've seen so many big bucks move after 9 o'clock or especially after 10 o'clock in the morning. Um, kind of from 10 to 11.30 is a pretty magic hour and a half. So if you are hurting, um, one, I would say suck it up. I think moving moving is kind of sometimes a problem, although during the rut there's times where I'll move from my kind of my more in the timber style uh, midday spot. I'll move out closer to an edge um, or a transition area more towards evening. But, you know, if it's just because you're, you're hurting, then I would, I would say, look at your tree stand or try to pick a time of day where maybe you can be a little bit more efficient. And late morning is certainly a very, very overlooked time. Um, Let's see, last question here um, is from Kill Boar. It says, warm-up. What is your routine for warm-up? So a lot of times for me when it comes to warming up, I just start by moving my arms around a lot. Um, I've been shown some pretty cool techniques um, from which I'll I'll actually post. Um, I was shown some pretty cool techniques for act, for moving um, your scapula off your back or I'm sorry using your scapula to lift um, your hands off your back and then move your arms around and it this whole motion which I'm doing a terrible job of describing right now um, I'm just gonna post that it's one that was shown to me um, at the on it Academy um, in Austin Texas on it Academy's totally awesome spot um, this was shown to me by christian um, i'll go ahead and post this i'm going to post it on the knock on youtube channel i'm going to put it on there right now and i'm going to call it um, john dudley um, archery warm-up technique um, I'm going to post that right now. Um, I just did it on my phone as a reminder. So it'll show you the technique. Um, really moving your arms around and going through these motions like what I was showed um, is a great way of getting a lot of circulation and also to build that scapular stability. Um, once again, that's shown to me by Christian at the Onnit Academy. Um, love those guys down there. Um, super knowledgeable and definitely going to help bring us some useful information in the future. Um, appreciate everyone else out there. I'm going to go ahead and wrap this podcast up. I got to get out to, um, got to drive to Harry's meet, see how he does. I uh, hope these guys are running hard. I hope he beats his personal time and appreciate all of you out there. I'm going to come back and I'm going to continue on with these other questions. Appreciate all you taking part in that. And, uh, Hey, get out there, shoot some bows. It's the time indoor season is upon us and the rut is really close. Knock on everybody. Be sure to visit knockonarchery.com to see our entire line of trendy knock on lifestyle clothing. Knockonarchery.com.